The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 344 premium for Thursday, July 28th, 2011. Oh, that's not the right thing to press. Let's try this one. Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, you send in your questions, we answer your questions, we share your tips, and when it's premium, sometimes we even leave in the bloopers. Right here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. I don't know if we want to leave that blooper in. I, I think I, I said something naughty. I don't think you did. I heard, I think, I think I heard I think it. I was about to. I think you were about to. Yeah. Okay. I think we're all right. I think we're covered. And here show. in Fearful, Connecticut. John F. Braun. There he is. John F. Braun, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. So uh, we've, you know, as always, we've got lots and lots and stuff to uh, to go through here. I figured we'd do a little, uh, you know, maybe start with a couple of tips as an appetizer and then maybe get into uh, the, uh, you know, the, the entree of the answers uh, for this show. How's that sound, John? I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> get your snacks now, folks. You know what I didn't do because we had the blooper and everything. I haven't even had a sip of tea. Say hi to him again, John, while I uh, while I take a sip of tea. Hi, everybody. This this is John. Um, I look forward to that first sip of tea. You know, I usually do it during the uh, during the, the song. But of course, you heard what happened there. So this is still take number one, assuming we're recording the right channel. And uh, yeah, I think we are. Uh, all right. Let's dive in and, uh, and we'll go to. Uh, we'll start with a, a tip from Mark. Mark writes, I have an interesting lion upgrade story to share. Maybe I'll save some time and explanation here by saying that the moral of the story is please verify and repair your disc on your Mac boot drive before upgrading to lion or really doing any upgrade. Mark says, uh, I went through a period of time after upgrading, which didn't present me with any errors, but I noticed some decreased battery life on my MacBook pro. I believe this is because my boot drive was in need of repair prior to upgrading, so it got caught in an indexing loop, which was sapping my battery life and causing my MacBook Pro to run a bit on the hot side. There was the normal indexing, which took place uh, for about an hour after upgrading, but once that completed, I did notice that it was running a bit hotter than usual. When I tested for battery life, I got a maximum of three hours on a full charge. Usually it's five or more hours under low usage. When I did the repair disc, I booted to the Lion install DVD that I made. Thanks to your advice. The battery life was back up to five or six hours. My battery is currently at 87% uh, of its maximum health. Uh, just thought I would share this experience. So that's very interesting. Uh, and uh, you, what, what, John, I know you've got some thoughts on this. Go. Oh, what occurs to me is I don't know if is, is a correlas, correl, correlation is causation. Okay. I don't know if I would. The only thing I did notice, now, now I think we both noticed this, is once you do upgrade um, to Lion, it will re-index, re-spotlight index your drive, which yeah. will certainly beat on the drive and and uh, shorten your battery life, especially with a mechanical yep. uh, drive versus a SSD. But I don't know if I buy. The, well, that'll shorten you your battery that. life. That'll shorten your battery life with an SSD too. SSDs tend to run a little more power hungry than than mechanical drives, in my experience. Um, Okay, I, I've seen some some that I've looked at, yep. like some that I've been looking at, and I'm actually still in process of looking at some. Uh, it, it, it depends. Some yeah. can have substantially lower power requirements, but okay. you're correct. Some, some of maybe the earlier ones could have uh, equal or greater power consumption. 
Right. But I don't know if I could attribute, you know, an increase of a couple of hours to the fact that the drive is not running. Maybe, maybe it, it just it doesn't sound right to me. I, I had a, an issue uh, with an, uh, with whatever, whenever I installed Lion initially, so probably DP3 or something, mm. where it, it did something similar to this, that it never quite finished ever doing its spotlight index until I did a repair of the drive. Uh, and then that finished and then everything was fine. I didn't notice it from a battery life standpoint, but I noticed it from a, uh, a spotlight standpoint. I realize that's a little bit different uh, than what Mark is saying here. But it, it, again, the, you know, the, the repairing the disc did solve that problem. Uh, for me. So perhaps, I mean, it could could get stuck somewhere. And I, and I think the process that you're going to see is uh, I think it's MD worker. Is that it? Uh, For, for spotlight it is. That's right. Right. So if you see, yeah, if you notice that if you're running a tool like iStat menus and you, and you see the processor going, or you see that little, you know, pulsing uh, dot in the middle of the uh, spyglass there. Uh, and that never seems to go away, then yeah, MD worker could be confused. And I guess another thing to do in addition to repairing the disc is uh, there is a way to, I forget, there's there's a terminal voodoo. I think it's a MDUtil slash E or something like that, Dave, that oh, I think will, will it, wipe it and start again. MDUtil. So yeah, the idea is to wipe out the spotlight index and come, da- come back. And so it's MDUtil space dash capital E, I believe, space and then slash for your boot drive, or if you have another volume you want to wipe it out on, then you'd put the path to that, you know, slash volume slash whatever. But, but I believe it's MDUtil lowercase space dash capital E space slash, and that will wipe it out and, uh, and in theory, get it to, to start again. All right. So now that I think about it some more, I guess, uh, yeah, I'll, I, I could buy that a, a index process out of control and never stopping could, could sap your battery life. Yeah, you know, I was using. Um, we mentioned Daisy Disk on a on a recent show, uh, and I, I, I since have tried it out. In fact, I tried it out. I think it was even yesterday. And what Daisy Disk is yet another in the, of these programs that shows you where your disk space is being used up. And when I ran it this time, and this was the first time I've run any of these after a Lion installation, I noticed that I had like three gigabytes worth of Spotlight Index. And that seems much bigger to me than than it was previously. But I don't I also don't remember benchmarking it previously. So I, I got to do some. Uh, in fact, you know what? I got to run Daisy Disk on this computer here because this one's running Snow Leopard. And that'll that'll tell me if I'm you know totally out of whack. So I'm putting a note. Oh, like, that's right. I got to give them a look, too. I, I think there's something buried buried in my box somewhere. About, Daisy uh, Disk. Uh, uh, eval. Snow Leopard. Okay. All right, so that's on my uh, that's on my list here to do. All right, on to uh, Mark number two, a, a different Mark, uh, but Mark nonetheless writes. I just listened to Mac Geek Up three forty three, where you spoke about typing TM in text edit, etc. In Lion, uh, after and and complaining, of course, like we were that there was if you wanted to type TM, you were stuck. Well, Mark says. After it has been changed to the small letters, just use command Z, which is the same as edit undo to change it back to what it was previously. So and this works with TM for trademark or if you do the, the copyright thing, which is uh, if you do paren C close paren, it'll change the copyright symbol. If you do any of those and then just command Z, it'll change it back to exactly what you typed. and It totally works, which is great. So thank yeah. you, Mark. Yeah, yeah. it does. 
Undo. Who would have thought? Undo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I should have thought of this because FileMaker has another interesting thing that Undo fixes. If you're using FileMaker and you paste in text that you've copied from somewhere else that comes with formatting, FileMaker will paste it in with the formatting. And that's kind of annoying. Uh, if you want it to be in whatever format, you know, your, your, your sheet is there in FileMaker. Well, the same thing works. If you paste it in, it'll paste it with the formatting. If you paste and then do command Z, it undoes the formatting, but leaves the text. So you get totally raw, unformatted uh, text, you know, or, or uh, uh, you know, un- no, it, it takes out the underlines and fonts and all that stuff. It just makes it whatever, whatever it would have been had you typed it in raw into the, uh, into the FileMaker field. So I, I don't know why I didn't think of doing that because it, you know, it works and FileMaker is yet another Apple product, sort of. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Barry writes, I know Matt Geekab and lots of other uh, folks have stressed to users about the importance of backing up and having at least three backups, including offsite storage. Uh, I agree. But after some recent events at multiple clients, I am pleading with you not only to promote backups, but at least twice, if not more often yearly to test those backups by trying to restore files from each of them. Backups get corrupted and drives fail. Unless you test your backups, they are not good backups and can be a cause of a loss of important data. So he's right. I always say you got to verify your backups, but but restoring and perhaps equally as important, knowing how to restore before disaster hits. Totally key. So, uh, yeah, I agree, Barry. And thanks for reminding us. We will we'll make that part of our mantra now whenever we're uh, we're discussing backups, because uh, you have to. You got to be able to restore. You have to know how to do it and you have to be able to trust that you can do it. So that's, uh, um, no, that's, that's a mantra, right? Well, sort of. Yeah. But how do you, I you know this brings up a question because I, now I know at least with time machine, Dave. Yeah. Uh, if you hold down and I think you taught me this, but if you, if you click on the menu and you hold down option, you'll get a verify backups. Yeah, I don't know if that's see, actually, I, I think that's just checking the integrity of the sparse bundle or the files. I, I don't, I don't that's know. Correct. How, it, I don't know how deep that goes. I mean, I'm sure it's better than nothing. Uh, it, it, you're right. It checks the integrity of the sparse bundle, which tells you that the place where your backups are being stored is um, corruption free. But it does not tell you that your backup matches. When I say verify backups, I mean the old school verify way, which is comparing what was just backed up to its, its source and making sure that it actually matches and time machine does not do that. We've confirmed this with Apple uh, that, that there is no verification involved in time machine at that level. This verification sometimes is performed automatically by time, time machine. And you can, you can obviously do it manually by, by the method John just described. So yeah, there is no way to verify a time machine backup in that sense, other than just, restoring spot checking right you know restore three or four things and make sure they work hmm. all right because so. i still remember i mean i i know there are some backup programs i don't, I don't believe some of our favorites do this and that they do a comparison after the fact yeah well i have um yeah i mean you know data backup from data rest from uh prosoft will if you oh, if you okay. tell it to yep oh all right yeah. I, I don't normally use that i'll, I'll have to reinvestigate that yeah yeah it's that that one's that's probably the for for uh, 
home or single machine style users where you're not t- trying to back up a network of Macs to one, one device. Uh, data backup is probably your most full featured piece of software available. Uh, it, it, it's easily configurable and immensely configurable. So you can, you can get going pretty quickly with it, but if you want to get deep and, uh, and really tweak it out, it's got it all. So I, I like that one a lot. So, and, uh, and one that I think you and I both used for a while. And I, uh, I think no, I still see it out here, uh, but retrospect, why do you keep bringing retrospect up? <laughs> well, there's a Mac. It, well, I remember it had a, uh, ver- verify feature. No, it did. That's a, that's yeah. why I bring it up. Yeah, but it, it's, I just bring it up because it still seems to be on the market. Yeah, sort of. They ignored the Mac market for a long time. They weren't OS 10 compatible until like a week ago, but um, maybe maybe not quite. But, you know, probably like a year ago, which is or two years ago, even, which is sad. Uh, but uh, yeah, they've got an OS 10 version. It It's it, if you have to back up a network of Macs and you don't want and you want more customization than Time Machine allows retrospect is is certainly worth considering but uh, you know i don't know i don't uh right. I, I don't I trust just them wanna, i just don't just, trust them after okay. having ignored the mac for so long i, they, I no, was no I, i'm, I'm yeah. with you but i just remember that it, it has a pretty rich uh feature set and you probably pay for that but uh you know if you are talking about verification then yeah. uh yeah well let's give them another uh you know we'll have to talk to them see if they want to toss this one to look at and uh you know, see how it stacks up now. Though, though, though I'm with you. I, I don't like people that ignore markets and then jump back in. Yeah. Quark. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. You know, uh, every now and then when you're having your appetizer, you want a taste of, of what's for dinner. So while we're on the backup uh, thing here, let's... No, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, you are. Yeah, how about this, soup? It, how about it, some soup? Okay. Uh, Larry writes and asks... Uh, in the latest episode I'm listening to, you suggested before upgrading to Lion to run Carbon Copy Cloner. My question is, what is the preference for Carbon Copy Cloner as opposed to just relying on Time Machine that I already use? In the past, I did have a scary unable to continue with this installation while doing an archive and install with a previous OS. Luckily, I successfully rewrote over my hard drive with the Time Machine backup and was good to go. I suppose one advantage to downloading the installer from the Mac app store is that we do not have physical media that will get scratched, uh, lost or has defects on it, uh, et cetera. You get the picture. The only downside I see is that I cannot make wall clocks from the aforementioned discs, nor use them as coasters and Frisbees. Uh, there are downsides to progress. So to answer your last question first, that's true. But in a couple of weeks, when the USB sticks with Lion are available from the Apple store. You can buy those and use them as uh, you can put them in your slingshot and use them as ammunition. So, uh, so at least you've got that. Uh, but John, why don't you take this one? Why carbon copy cloner or super duper, or really in a general sense, why making a clone of your drive? Since that's what all of these utilities do. Why is that? Why is doing that in addition to time machine better than just having time machine, especially before you do your lion install? Well, for me, so before I upgraded Line, I did a full carbon copy cloner, cloner backup of the drive inside of my MacBook Pro because, to me, the big plus of carbon copy cloner, and I would assume super duper, though I don't, I don't use, use that. You do. But the end result is a bootable full disk. Uh, it's, it's a duplicate, but it's a bootable duplicate. And to me, that's the important part. So say you totally trash everything. So say the update totally destroys everything. You can simply, 
on almost any Mac. Just plug that drive in, and when you start up the machine, uh, gosh, is it command or option? One of those. It's option. Option. Hold down option. When you hold down option, that runs a startup manager, which will look for any bootable device. So even if, if you totally thrash your internal drive, all is not lost because you can immediately get back to your last backed up state. That is not the case with Time Machine, although Time Machine does contain... In theory, the full contents of what was on your drive, it's not something that you can just plug in and boot from. Right. At least not that I'm aware of. No, you Um, can't. You can't. And also now, you know, I'm going to say I'm a bit nervous about Time Machine, Dave, because if you recall, I had a little issue where all of a sudden I wasn't backing up to Time Machine. And, and you know, I told you my my backups were very, were very quick. Right. And I was very impressed. And then when I looked to see what data had been saved with one of many tools that are available um, to do that, it said, oh yeah, I saved zero bytes. I'm like, oh, uh, well that's not right. And I knew it wasn't right because I knew I created additional data, if nothing else, the the podcast and the show notes and the audio and stuff like that. So o- only by rebooting in safe mode did I get it back on, on its feet again. So, uh, so, so I'm a bit wary of time machine. Well, and you should be wary of any of your, uh, anything that you're using to back up in that, that kind of problem can happen to anything you, you know, I use super duper. There was a period of time where it wasn't able for whatever reason, and this wasn't necessarily super duper's fault, but it couldn't mount the disc that I was backing up to. And so it's daily backups would try to run and they wouldn't, you know, so you've got to be, you've got to be aware of it to the point where you spot check it occasionally and make sure it's actually working Uh, to answer Larry's specific question about, you know, in this case, before upgrading to a new OS, why is a clone valuable to add something to that? What if you install Lion and something you desperately need to rely on does not work anymore? And I'll I'll use Quicken as the example, right? Let's let's say you're a Quicken user and you didn't you didn't listen to this show and you didn't know that Quicken wasn't going to run in Lion. Well, you'd install Lion and now suddenly you can't get at that data. Ain't no way inside lion to get at the data that's in your Quicken data file. And the, the only way is to go back to snow leopard. Well, if you had made a clone, you could just boot your clone and it's just like it was before you reinstall before you upgraded to lion. So there, there are plenty of benefits there to, uh, to having that clone, especially before an OS upgrade. Yeah. But really all the time, it's just a quick way back. You know, certainly you could reinstall snow leopard and restore from your time machine backup and be back to where you were. But how long is that going to take as opposed to just plugging in your clone and booting? Now you're talking minutes versus hours. I think once any of them have done a full backup, then I think they're all pretty similar. And then from what I've seen though, I don't use it for this, but carbon copy cloner time machine. And then I believe super duper will all do incremental or deltas in that. Okay. I'm going to look at what's different and just save that. I'm not going to copy the entire drive again. Right. For all the contents. So, um, so that's, that's what we, uh, that's what we got to say about that. All right. So we've had uh, two marks, a Barry, a Larry. Let's go with another Larry here. Larry writes, uh, I listen to a lot of Mac centric podcasts, read a lot of Mac centric magazines, visit a lot of Mac centric websites and forums and have a lot of Mac loving friends, but I have never heard of what I'm about to tell you. And I think it's something that many people might shine, find shocking says, uh, I was lucky and won an iPad, and I'm writing this email on it. Uh, the raffle took place in April. I was informed in the first week of May, and I received it May 27th. 
It may as well have been Christmas the way I tore open the FedEx box, ravaged through the cellophane, opened the box, and removed the protective plastic to reveal my shiny new fingerprintless iPad 1. Uh, I hooked it up to my computer and immediately registered it. As I am apt to do with every new Apple product I own, I purchased AppleCare. If Apple sold toilet paper, I would get AppleCare for it. I figured I now had about 730 days worth of protection and peace of mind for my new Apple product. Yesterday's call to Apple revealed shocking information. The customer service representatives now tell you how many days you have left. And I was told that I had about 400. I surprised I was surprised and asked more. Apparently, the warranty begins the day the device is purchased, not the day you open it and register it. Black Friday gift recipients are going to be surprised when 360 days after receiving their Christmas iPad, it bites the dust and they need a repair only to find out their warranty expired a month earlier. Am I being an alarmist or is this well known? Well, uh, I always knew this, but apparently, you know, not everyone does. So, yeah, warranties begin the day you purchase the device. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they begin the day you take delivery. But in in a lot of cases, you know, even that period where it's being shipped, the warranty time has already started ticking. Apple Care, of course, extends on to the end of your initial warranty. And so, you know, is is affected by that same start date, uh, if you will. So. So, yeah. And this is you know, this is the way it works with uh, with with just about anything. It's not just Apple products. It's, you know, TVs and, and anything you buy. It's it's, you know, assume the day of purchase. And if it's the day of delivery, then you got an extra couple of days. Now, in in the example you mentioned where Black Friday gift recipients and Christmas, Apple often will kind of bend their rule a little bit. And uh, and let you go a month uh, beyond your your warranty expiration and still fix your stuff. I don't know if that's official policy of Apple, but based on everything I've seen, it sure seems like it almost is. But uh, but yeah, warranty starts the day it's purchased, uh, even if you are not the person who purchased it. So. Any Mm -hmm. anything to add there, John? I heard you mumbling, but no. Okay, no, just just general agreement. Got it. All right. Uh, Ken's got a little something to say, uh, a tip and, and then a question about, uh, about Dropbox. Hey, John and Dave. It's Ken from Kailua, Hawaii. Uh, I have a Dropbox, uh, uh, both tip and a question. Um, I discovered recently that my Dropbox, which I had uh, upgraded and actually upgraded twice, uh, so I think I have 100 gigabytes of space now, uh, was getting filled up uh, dramatically quickly. The first time I upgraded from, I think it was 50 or 60 gigs to 100, I didn't stop to figure out why that might be. Um, and then um, I went back and I checked the files that I was uh, storing over there and realized that uh, because of the nature and the way I put things on Dropbox, I had only 15 to 20 gigs of actual files. But nevertheless, they were taking up uh now filling up a 100 gig uh, Dropbox account. And what I discovered after corresponding, after looking at some of my files and corresponding with Dropbox, is that Dropbox has a problem with file names that have a trailing space. Um, If there's a space at the end of the name before the extension, it creates something they call a white space conflict. And what Dropbox does is, for some reason, it starts mirroring those files. If your file name is George.doc, there's a space between the George and the dot before the extension. 
it creates a file called George paren white space conflict close paren dot doc and then it for some reason continues to iterate or reiterate um, and I literally found thousands of uh, copies of the file um, which was not simply an empty folder but it was actually it happened at the folder level but it related to files um, and it um, propagated literally thousands of these files each just as large as the original uh, it took some time, but I sorted it all out, at least with respect to the folder that I was mirroring to Dropbox. I'd now like to um, uh, mirror more of my file structure from my internal hard drive over to Dropbox, but I'm leery of having to go through all of the files from 15-odd years of use uh, to see which ones have a trailing space in the name. And I'm wondering if you guys can suggest... Uh, a program or shortcut that would enable me to go searching for strategy of some kind, even just using uh, the find and the finder, which I'm not sure how exactly to do here, uh, so that I find only files who have a trailing space or spaces in their name. It's not something I did deliberately, but over the years as files got named, I might have inadvertently added spaces, or it might just be that I truncated an earlier, a longer name and left the space in there. But if you have a suggestion, I would be grateful. Um, here's where you cut me off. Awesome. All right. So thanks for the tip on that, Ken. That's, uh, that's, that's good to know that, that that's a problem. Now, as for his question, John, this is interesting because searching for a space is a very difficult thing to do because in the finder or spotlight in general, if you type a space, well, no, it's, it's really easy to search for it. It is searching for a space. I think it's, yeah. I think it's pretty easy. Okay. Well, I think the problem is you're going you're gonna to get a few matches, aren't you? Oh, well, yeah. But are you but, talking about how to delimit it? Is that what you're thinking? No, no. Searching for, you know, what, what he's trying to do is looking, looking for files that end, uh, that, that have a space. So in his example, there's a file named George.doc, right? And if it is George.doc, right, that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, nine characters, right? But in his example, he's got 10 because he's got George space.doc, right? And that's what's causing these trouble with, cr troubles with Dropbox. So uh, what you need to do is you need to search for file names that and it, that have a space and a period in them. Cause even if it's George space, space, space dot doc, you're still going to find that space period, but the finder, at least no way I could find would search for that. Because as soon as you type the space, as soon as you type the period, the finder is stopped looking for the space. It's looking for the period and whatever you type after it. And that's not going to help you because you're going to find every file that has a period in it. Um, Oh, you're right. I, I, I thought you would just do a double quote, a space, and a, another double quote, and that would find everything with the space in it, and it does not. Right. So, so, but, but that's the right mentality, right? Because that's what we would do. Well, Google would ignore it too, but that's kind of the idea: is you do the space, you do a quote, a space, a period, and then another quote, right? Because you're looking for that space period. Quote that's, or double quote? Either way, it doesn't matter. You know, uh, but but you want to you want to encapsulate this, right? So. 
that's the, that's the right mentality, but you can't do it in the finder. You have to do it from the command line, or at least I know of a way to do it from the command line. And it's using Unix's locate command, L-O-C-A-T-E. And what you do is all lowercase, you type locate space, and then you can use single or double quotes. It doesn't matter. Uh, I always use double quotes because that's what I got used to, but I do double quote. And then in your case, uh, Ken, I would do space period and then end double quote and hit return. And that's going to go ahead and find everything that is in Unix's locate database. Uh, and this is something that Mac OS 10 updates every week um, that, that has a space and a period in it. That'll give you a list of them. That's not necessarily going to, in fact, it's definitely not going to allow you to rename them, but it, it would allow you to, uh, to at least know what you've got and what you're dealing with out there. Now, as far as you could then take that and you could write like a, a shell script in, in Perl, perhaps, or even just in, in, um, in the Unix shell to pump, to do that with a regular expression and, and then pump those into, you know, the, the move command, which is the rename command and, and change every instance of space period to just period. And, you know, that would probably work. That's, that's a little bit deeper of an exercise than we'll get into here because it's, not the kind of thing you want to hear explained to you verbally. Um, but, uh, but, but it, it is, that is doable, but in, in, at, at the very least you could do locate and, and then look for that. And, and at least you'd get a list that they, that you could then work from. If there's, you know, 50 files out there, well, it's probably simpler to just go manually edit each of those 50 files than it is to write the script and test it and, and all of that. But if you've got thousands of them, yeah, then it's probably worth figuring out how to write that shell script and, and, uh, all right. And do that. Now, one other thought. Yeah. So I haven't done a lot of uh, command line stuff in a while, but would doing an LS and piping that to grep uh, be another possible approach? Well, it, it would, but LS only shows you the con the contents of the directory that you're in. Whereas well, no, he, could you do a recursive LS? Does LS do recursive? I don't think so. I don't think there's mm. a recursive option for LS. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. But there was. Oh, I don't think so. LS dash R. Yeah, I guess there is. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? There you go. So LS dash capital R does uh, recursive. Ah, there so, it is. Oh, okay. Not little R, but capital R. Hey, look at that. Yes. All right. So possibly an LS dash capital R and then piping that. I think pipe is a, a vertical bar. A vertical bar, which is a, a, the, above the backslash on most modern Apple keyboards. So yeah, it'd be and LS. Then go to grep and then you'd have to specify a pattern. And I think what would come out of that would be only the files that match the grep pattern. I, I haven't done grep in a while. So. Yes. No, this would be easy. So it'd be uh, lowercase unless I say otherwise. Uh, LS space dash capital R space pipe. So now you've got the, uh, the LS is a directory command. So you're, you're telling it to do a recursive directory and you are taking the output of that recursive directory and passing it via the pipe to what we type next. So LS space dash capital R space pipe and then another space and then grep G R E P. That's going to, that's your search command space, double quote space period and double quote. And you're telling grep to find every instance of space period in what you just passed it. And, uh, and you'll find, you know, stuff. I'm looking here to see if, uh, if this is working. And yeah, it appears as though it is. Really? You're going to have to play. You're going to have to play with it a little bit because I'm uh, grep grep may be treating that space in uh as in, in a weird way. 
right. So maybe that's an exercise for a listener. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's a regular expression. And I, I, I yeah. Oh, okay. I, I fear right. that the space is screwing up grep, but, um, or you may have to do a hex code for it or something, but, uh, but in general, grep is the command that can filter on a search pattern. Yeah. Right? It's interesting because locate definitely works to find okay. exactly these kinds of files. And I've found some where there's a, a you know, uh, it seems like the, the, uh, Skype, believe it or not, uh, the sound files that it uses and there are things like hang up space dot M four a or contacts receive space dot M four a. But, um, but grep for whatever reason does not find those same, uh, those same things. So I, I don't know why, but, but the locate command definitely works for this. Okay. Good yeah. one. All right. So that, uh, that brought us fully into the, uh, the, the, the dinner portion of our meal here, which is, uh, <laughs> which is questions. And, and so let's, um, let, let's see which, uh, which of these we're going to do. So well, I think we could combine them. Yeah, we're going to have a similar yeah. topic, right? Yeah. So uh, Jeremy writes, we'll see if we even need to read the other question, but uh, Jeremy writes, uh, per your suggestion, I was going through system profiler to see what applications I was going to lose when I decide to switch to lion in system profiler. I noticed a column titled 64 bit Intel. I was surprised to see so many Intel and universal apps that are not 64 bit. As one of the changes going to Lion is that it is 64-bit. Will these programs also not work? Uh, so, in in short, no, they'll work fine. Um, Lion will run apps that are both 64-bit or 32-bit, and you need not be running only 64-bit. The, the The limitation is that they have to be Intel apps, and they can't be PowerPC apps. I, th I think that I think that gets us there, John. Did, I know you probably have some stuff to add, right? Well, a little bit, but but it, it, yeah, you you are correct. the The problem now is that sixty four bits is getting tossed around a bit. So the only requirement in Lion is that you need a sixty four bit processor. Ah, but it's still capable, right? Remember, right, because the, right. the processor requirements, all the processors that they say you need. Uh, whether it be a core two duo, I think the I five, the I seven, is there an I nine now? I think, or, um, no. or the Xeon are all 64 bit processors. Right. Right. Whereas the core duo and core solo, which I think Apple used briefly are 32 bit. So that's the only requirement. You can still run the 32 bit EFI, which I, it was in a follow-up. So if you have a 32 bit EFI, I think on, on certain machines the, it'll still run as long as you have a 64-bit processor. You can run the 32-bit kernel, and you can run 32-bit apps. Makes the benefit, sense. of course, is that, and there are benchmarks out there, is that if you are running the 64-bit kernel, then kernel operations, which is a lot of the low-level stuff, you know, whether it be file access or memory management and stuff like that, or... In theory, if you're running a 64-bit version of an app versus a 32-bit version, um, the best of both worlds is that you're running 64-bit kernel, 64-bit app. That should give you the best possible performance on the machine that you're running uh, these things on. Now, who knows? Now, in the future, though, you know, I mean, they ditched uh, Rosetta and PowerPC. Now, there could be a point in the future, though I, I don't see it because, you know, it'll take some doing. I, I think the problem is that 32-bit apps, I think people are... 
A, a lot of times there are dependencies on old libraries or frameworks that are still 32 bit. So, the, so I don't think Apple could have made that choice or that decision right. saying, okay, sorry, in Lion, no more 32 bit apps because it would have knocked too many people uh, out of the ring. And, so we and may see it in the next, uh, we may see it in, in a subsequent version though. At some point they may decide, all right, guys, you know, everything has to be 64 bit because, you know, like in the past, I mean, we've gone from 8 bit to 16 to 32 to 64 and someday yeah. we'll see 128. So at some point they may cut off 32 bit apps or the 32 bit kernel, but, but not now. Is there a reason a developer, I, I guess, I mean, you gave one of one reason if they're using some framework or library that is only 32 bit at the moment, but, but is there, is every app going to benefit from going? I know some apps will benefit from going 64 bit, but my, my assumption is that not every app will, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a low memory usage, low CPU usage, little, you know, menu bar drop down thing. Is there really a need to have that thing running 64 bit uh, other than, you know, some artificial limitation that Apple decides to impose? Uh, you know, that's a great question, Dave. Yeah. And, and then let me find something here. So, okay. so I, um, where is it? Okay. So I found this article. We've linked to it in the past. So we'll link to it again, but it's a, uh, it's a snow leopard article, but it does a nice job. And, and it benchmarks a lot of graphic applications like Photoshop and all that. And it shows, all right, if you're running the 32, for example, here, just just uh, one thing. Yep. So Photoshop CS4, that they have an example here where they run a certain operation on Snow Leopard 32-bit and it takes 30.7 whatevers. I don't even know the units. On 64-bit, it takes 29.7. Okay. So you're seeing, you're not seeing... Uh, you know, huge. So you're seeing a benefit, but you're not seeing a huge benefit. And looking at the other benchmarks here, I mean, another benchmark, it shows 32 bit, 467, 64 bit, 452. So you're talking, you know, a few percent, I, I suppose for, you know, really, you know, gargantuan jobs or, or processing jobs, video and stuff like that, especially where you got multiple cores, it, it could start to add up. Right. But I don't know. My, my opinion, based on the benchmarks that I've seen, is that it, it, it is a benefit, but it's, it's not a huge benefit. But so, so yeah, I, I don't think Apple's or, or anyone's going to feel strongly about prohibiting 32-bit apps just because uh, I don't think there's a good reason to. And, and the processors can deal with it. You know, the 64-bit processors all understand the, the legacy 32-bit uh, instructions. Right. Well, that was kind of my point was, yeah, is, is there some, is there some reason why this would have to happen? Um, but I guess I mean, as far it, as it I know, like all the, uh, no, yeah, all right. the Intel 64 processors understand the 32 bit uh, instructions and registers and all that stuff. So, so I guess, it, I guess it could be that down the road we could start using some, you know, 128 bit processors that, that don't understand 32. They only understand 64 bit stuff. And so therefore we've got it bump up just like we have like you said with 8 to 16 to 32 yeah yeah well i don't <laughs> yeah and i don't see 128 bit coming for uh i don't right. even know if they exist yet well well i, I believe know. it did for a while remember remember the uh motorola had something called altavec mm -hmm. as far as i know that was a 128 bit subset for doing certain things really but when you did hand it off to uh yeah you should be able to yeah it. you're right yeah yeah from what i recall altavec was a way to take certain operations and make them 128 bit. And, uh, you know, if we're doing certain math or other, you know, egghead 
uh, huh. sort of, you know, things that lent themselves to parallel processing and splitting up the task in nice, neat little chunks. Altavec could, could really, really uh, get you a huge benefit. But that was, uh, of course, that went away now with the power PC. So, right, right, right. All right. Well, who cool. is it? Intel? Yeah. The, uh, I forget. Yeah. MMX and the, uh, Intel has something similar, uh, a subset of instructions that are meant to deal with data in, in larger chunks and speed things up. But yeah, we won't go there because this isn't microprocessor 101. No, that's right. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for the microprocessor 101, though. That was that was good. All right, Michael has a, uh, well, a different topic entirely to bring us down, I think. Come on, let's go. Hi, John, Dave, and Pete. This is Michael in Boston. Like your web dude, I have a Mac Mini that will soon be obsolete. I want to repurpose it as a media server. To that end, I want to find a way to bring TiVo recorded shows into iTunes, specifically the daytime dramas my wife is fond of watching. It would be relatively simple to just download them automatically and convert them to an iTunes-supported format and drop them into a folder that iTunes can watch. The problem is they will grow and grow, and I'll be constantly deleting the old episodes. So my idea is somewhat more complicated, but I think it'll still work. I want to create a local-only podcast of my wife's soaps. And no, there are myriad reasons, both technical and legal, why this will never leave my home's private network. Then subscribe to that in iTunes. With that, I can tell iTunes to only keep the most recent three episodes and delete the rest. I can also, on the server, probably the same Mac Mini, erase the older episodes automatically so this system won't require that I constantly delete them. With this, my wife will always have the three most recent episodes to watch. Dave, you've said you use Automator to do a lot of work for Mac Geek Gab. Does that include bundling it up into the RSS feed? Is there any an easy way to, to do that? Thank you. You can cut me off here. All right. And cut you off, we shall. Uh, Let me ask you something, Dave. Yeah, go ahead. I, I got to say, I like the idea. It sounds clever. Yes, it's clever. Of setting up a local podcast server now, now you're you're more involved in nuts and bolts than i am of course you know writing all the scripts and do that but w- what do you if, if you could quickly describe i mean what do you need at the very least in order to publish either an audio or, or a video uh podcast yeah that so- itunes understands what what, what are the, the the basic components if, if you can yep it's very simple you need a web server because that's what it's going to connect okay. you to pull from. And what it's going to pull from that web server are two things. First, it's going to pull an RSS feed. Uh, and I, I, okay. I, I said this recently somewhere else. I believe podcasts are the only reason that uh, the only good use of RSS that's happening right now. But, but that's a whole other <laughs> other discussion. But anyway, uh, so it needs to pull the RSS feed. And then that RSS feed is going to uh, provide links to the enclosures the 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 audio files or video files in this case and and so you need those to reside on a web server somewhere too so that it can pull those in all right so rss is a piece of data that's structured a certain way that describes the podcast content that's right it's it's an xml file essentially that, that says you know here's the title of the episode here's the number of the episode here's the enclosure file for the episode and really you know you can do a lot more than that but you don't need a lot more than that and it's just a text file you could build it in like text editor or, or you know bb editor whatever you want right but, okay so then you need a web server which i think is built into lion or correct any version of os 10 if you turn it on and that's then right. you need a program to create the rss xml file that's right hmm. that's right okay. and so that, you, 
That sounds like it'd take a little time to do. It would. Yeah. And, you know, no, I don't have Automator build our XML file. Uh, I believe there are plenty of podcasters that do, and there are plenty of automated tools to do it. We have our publishing system, which is Expression Engine, uh, generates all the RSS for us. uh, So we don't have to worry about it. However, GarageBand does it, right? uh, Would GarageBand generate XML? I don't think so. Or does it just let you? It might. I don't think so, though. Uh, so I thought that's what Michael uses at least to make the uh, the enhanced version. Yeah, that's totally uh, different. Or maybe oh, it doesn't publish it. All right. Yeah, right. It's not publishing it. Yeah. So, um, but but there's tools out there. The thing is, you know what you're what you're ta- think about what you're talking about here. You you say that you want to create this thing. The 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 purpose, Michael, is that you want to have your uh, three most recent episodes available for your wife to watch, um, you know, back on the TiVo or, or whatever. Uh, the problem is, you know, if you do this podcast thing, yes, you can tell iTunes to delete all but the three most recent that it's pulled down from a podcast. That's fine. But then, as you said, you've got to go back to the server, wherever it's getting those from, and delete you know, delete the older episodes from the server because the podcast server isn't going to magically delete its stuff. So you've got to write some script to do that. You're, you're now, you know, you're writing all of this stuff to do what you're trying to do automatically. And, and really, I think there's a magic answer. I think what you can do is if you use two pieces of software, number one is called ITVO. We've mentioned this before. And what ITVO does is it allows you to take the content from your TiVo and suck it down to your Mac. And you can set a season pass for these so that anytime a new episode of, you know, daytime soap opera number one comes up, it pulls that down and saves it. Uh, And then you can use another piece of software called PyTivo X, P-Y, because it's written in Python, TiVo X. uh, And these are both available for free to allow you to take anything, including the stuff you've pulled down with iTivo and stream it back up to your TiVo. And you can tell when you're watching stuff from Pi TiVo X, you can from the TiVo tell it to delete episodes. So as she finishes episodes, you just hit delete and boom, away it goes. Um, if you want to only keep the most recent three, you certainly can do that too. So I, I think those are your, I think those are your tools. And I, I think you can stop worrying about, uh, about any of the rest of it. That's, that's my feeling anyway. So, Hmm. yeah, that's, you know, and I, you can pie TiVo, uh, sorry, I TiVo will pull stuff into iTunes automatically for you. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think there's a simpler solution here than, than trying to, to roll your own podcast server. Although if you have the desire to go down the technical, uh, the exercise path of creating your own podcast, uh, you know, RSS and web server and configuring all of that just because it's cool, which of course it is then more power to you that, but, but if you're looking for the simplest solution, I don't believe, I don't believe that's it. That's my, that's my feeling on it, John. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's see. We want to go to, uh, Oh, we have a, this is, this is an interesting one. I don't think we have an answer to this, but it's an interesting question. Nonetheless, John, not not you, of course, but listener John. Uh, right. Oh, you, oh, did you think it was you? Oh, that's why you were confused. No, I thought it was the other. Uh, no, I thought you were <laughs> going to do another question that I don't think we knew the answer to. Oh, yeah. Well, we got two of those, so we'll skip one. Uh, John writes, I listen to my local PBS station on my conventional radios in my home in my car. 
and on my sixth generation iPod Nano, and it works very well. I can understand why most of the time there's about a half second delay in the audio on the iPod, but sometimes they're playing completely different programs. At times, I have determined the iPod program is maybe five minutes behind the radio program. As an electronics technician with some 50 years experience in radio, TV, and radar, I cannot fathom how this can possibly be. Do you have any thoughts? I have not asked the station engineer as I can't imagine they would have an answer either. All right. So let's get I, some let's get some groundwork down here first. Now I, I think I know. Okay, good. By reading the question again. But you know, I just tried this, Dave, because you know, so, a very nice person gave me one of these iPod nanos that I hadn't taken out of the box until today. <laughs> right. So so yeah, okay. So let's get this let's get this the, the kind of the foundation here. The the right. iPod nano has an FM receiver in it. Doesn't have a Wi-Fi receiver. You know, the only thing it's got is an FM receiver and it can, it can do, uh, it can obviously let you listen to the radio. In addition to that, it will, and this, it does this automatically. It will let you take uh, that radio and pause it for up to 15 minutes, or you can rewind for up to 15 minutes in the past. And you can take what you've heard and save it as an MP3 file. So clearly it's only FM. It's not doing anything over the internet or anything like that, but clearly it's taking the signal from the radio and digitizing it, turning it from the, the analog sound that it gets over the radio and converting that into digital. And so that's why you're sometimes getting a very slight delay. But if you've paused, it could cause a five minute delay. And I wonder if that has happened inadvertently here. Um, I, th- that's that's my only that's my only thought. But it, it it I figured this question was good to bring up because it's it. There are some features of the iPod Nano that many people, myself included, when until I got it, d- didn't know about. So that's that's kind of why I wanted to bring this one up. But if you've got an answer, John, even better. Well, no, that that, that was my answer too. As soon okay. as he said it was five, so I thought at first he was saying the. Uh, now that I reread it, so at first yeah. I thought he was saying he was hearing two separate programs. Which the only thing, and then I started going down the path of, well, is the Nano actually picking up the same analog broadcast? Yeah, it's not HD radio. Okay, because that's what I was thinking, because there is something called HD radio, which is a digital, even though it's on analog, they did... It's not on analog. Suffice suffice to say that they, it's a digital radio broadcast. That's right. Right? Yes. Even though it's on an analog medium, but we won't fight about. Well, know. so so is so is so is airport, right? So oh, is I know. this connection. So is your cable yeah, a modem, connection. Same thing. A right. modem is digit is doing digital over an analog connection. Right. So, but I thought at first, yeah, it's HD radio, and and in a lot of areas, uh, if you have an HD radio, you could be hearing a totally different broadcast on the same frequency if you're picking up the HD radio. Yeah, as far well, as I know, yeah, HD it, it radio. It sounds interesting. I haven't looked into it. And then the other thing I saw, HD radio. Then, just to to answer that question, it gives you go. a digital radio. So so high, yeah. it's certainly higher quality, higher definition sound. But but like you said, often not always, but often HD radio stations will broadcast multiple tracks if you will, on the same frequency. And you can choose, you know, HD track two, HD track three. And sometimes right, those right. will be, you know, related, but, but maybe you'll have, you know, the, the pop hits on number one and the deeper cuts on number two, or, you know, we've got a station around here that has like rock on one and alternative country 
on their second thing. Yeah. And it's just how they work. So, so that's HD radio in a very small nutshell. But go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. I may, uh, you know, if I ever upgrade the radio in my car, <laughs> it still has a cassette. Yeah, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of manufacturers are pushing satellite radio over HD radio uh, yeah. because there's subscription fees involved. Right. So, of course. Like, right. uh, is it XM? XM? XM yeah. They're series. one of the bigger ones. Yeah. But, um, I, I think I'll take a baby step to HD radio. But um, <laughs> no, the thing I, I thought was, uh, I think the thing I thought was neat was um, that uh, the iPod is doing something on the analog station, which I think it's like a subcarrier. So that there is at the very least, and I think this has been around for a while, but you know, I, I move slowly on these things. But, but, but data about either the station and or the song can be embedded in the radio signal in like a inaudible subcarrier or something like that. Yeah. Because when I, I was on the Nano, I went to a station and it was playing and it showed me the name of the station and it showed me the name of the artist and the song. And I think the Nano also lets you bookmark or somehow yeah. tag the song so you can later go to iTunes and give Apple money and buy it, right? Right. That's right. Isn't that clever? That's a really neat marriage of, you know, both being able to listen to a radio. Yeah. I got to say it didn't do that great. I mean, it, it, it scanned the local stations. It didn't find nearly as many as a traditional radio. But then again, the headphones are not a great antenna. So Right. Right. Well, they are if you dangle uh, your iPod from the roof while you're standing right. up there on the roof. It'll work just great. Right. But I'm with you. Inadvertent pausing and resumption uh, to, to me is the only answer to this. Yeah. I, you know, I... I I can't think of anything else. All right. Or it could be, it could be a disruption in the space time continuum. Oh, that's totally it. Oh, we got to pull that. You know, why has it taken us over six years to come up with that as the default answer for anything we don't already know? Gosh. It's a tem temporal anomaly. It's a temporal right? anomaly. Yeah. You can't mess with this stuff. Look at that. What do, what do I look like? Jean-Luc Picard. I can't, you know, I'm not going to mess around with this stuff. I'm not Q. I can't do that. <laughs> I think it's time for dessert, John. Uh, <laughs> all right. So a couple of cool stuff found things here. Uh, the first in no particular order is from Paul. Paul says, I just came across this little app for the Mac called Divi. It's at Mizage.com. M-I-Z-A-G-E. That's proving to be a real bonus when I'm on the road. For me, definitely a cool stuff found item. Normally, I use an external monitor when in the office, so I've got lots of screen space. But when out and about, that's not the case. Uh, and I'm constantly having to juggle windows around on my 15-inch MacBook Pro. I like Expose, but despite trying a number of times, I've really not never gotten on with spaces. Divi, on the other hand, lets me assign shortcut keys or select areas on the fly for different Windows apps or Finder windows to occupy, occupy on my desktop. I find it quick, intuitive, and really snappy. Yeah, so Divi, it's, uh, it, you can do a free trial. It's 14 bucks. Um, it, they, they've got a little screencast. It's about three minutes long, and I watched it, and now I totally understand what it does. I'll try and explain, but I encourage you to watch the screencast. So I'm going to do this in less than half of three minutes. Uh, the idea is you pull up a little uh, they've got like a little chart view of your screen where they, they chop up your screen into maybe, you know, eight by five or something. And you pick a window and you say, hey, you draw in the little chart. You say, I want this window to take up like the right third of my screen or the left two thirds of my screen. And then, boom, it just does it. And you can set little shortcuts so that uh, keyboard shortcuts. So you can select a window and say, I want this on the top half of my screen or in the top corner or centered in the middle of my screen. 
and uh, and it just does it with whatever window you have selected at that point in time. So go ahead and check it out. It's uh, definitely a unique take on uh, on window rearrangement. We've talked about a couple of those, like you know, size up and uh, and things like that. So this is definitely another another one of those. Uh, with Lion, you know, it's we've talked about it. It's important to know your architecture. Oh, thank you so much, man. And I did confirm though that um, App App Delete did when I looked in the release notes for mm-hmm. for the most recent release will identify PowerPC applications. Cool. All right. So, uh, so he did do that for people, which is uh, very nice. But That's in good. that vein, in that vein, uh, Wesson suggests uh, Arch Detect or Arc Detect, A R C H D E T E C T. I believe it's free. The the website wasn't up. You could download it, but there was no real website to uh, to check out there. Uh, but it will do exactly what uh, what you would expect it does. It goes and finds all your apps and tells you what architectures they use, and you can sort and 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 uh, find the ones that are potentially going to cause you trouble. So, Arch Detect, uh, and he also says uh, Mac Update offers an app to keep apps up to date. It involves a fee, but it is a much better than the CNET tracker option. Between the Mac Update app and Bodega, I am able to keep pretty much current. So, uh, that's that's in relation to the last show we talked about. Uh, all right. We've, uh, we talked about Dropbox. So we might as well jump to this other cool stuff found. Chuck says, I know Dropbox has lots of integration with many apps, making it uniquely useful and close to indispensable. Still, I think many of our fellow listeners may want to consider at least the cost benefits of a couple of competitors I've found only recently. A few weeks back, I signed on with Spider Oak for half the price of Dropbox. The hundred or so, hundred dollars or so per year for Dropbox's fifty gig gets a hundred gigs with Spider Oak. And just this morning, I also found iDrive going even farther with fifty dollars or forty nine fifty for a hundred fifty gigs and five gigs free. I respect the fact that these two and no doubt others don't have the proven reliability and stability of Dropbox, but at effectively half to a third of Dropbox's cost, they're worth looking into. Um, and I found one and gosh, it's going to kill me now. Cause I can't think of the name of, I got it. it. Go. What's the other one? Sugar sink. That's the one. Thank you, John. Uh, because they, I was at, uh, they've been making the rounds at a lot of the shows that I go to and, uh, and they seem to be, uh, uh very similar. I talked they, about they sugar th- sink probably a year ago here on the show. It's better okay. than Dropbox. Uh, it's oh. better. It's better and cheaper it, it, with the lone exception it, of it not being Dropbox and therefore not being the thing that everybody else already has. This is one of those cases where first to market uh, trumps additional features for the lion's share of, of customers out there. But yeah, SugarSync, it's awesome. It's way more configurable than Dropbox. And one Uh-oh. of the th- one of the things I like about it, yeah, I've, I've got an account. I don't know. I, I don't. Well, well no, it, I see here. Sure. Yeah, they've offered me a. Enhanced account. And I think they could do the, the same for you because yeah, they, they get, they already did. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I haven't, yeah, I, I got to go through my Mac observer box. There's just so <laughs> many, so many presents in there, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but now uh, I don't know does drop. So these guys support PC, Mac, iPhone, iPad, Android, Blackberry, and more. Yeah. I, I don't think Dropbox supports all of those. Do they? Yeah. They're pretty close on all the mobile stuff. The yeah. Android and the Blackberry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not that I have one of those, but yeah, they sound, uh, they sound like a, a viable, uh, it's good stuff. What, what I probably should do is move my, uh, documents over to sugar sink and then just leave Dropbox for the stuff that I've got to share, like the stuff with you or the movies and stuff I share with my brother because my Dropbox gets full because no, I have, you know, we could, 
try sugar sink. To oh, that's right. You and I could do sugar podcast. Sink. Yeah. 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 So what, no, what one good. thing that, that I liked about sugar sink now that we're off on a total tangent here mm-hmm. and, and I really don't have all my notes in front of me about it, but um, one of the things I liked the most was that it, uh, with Dropbox, you and I share a folder, right, John? And we each have accounts that have limits. I, somewhere, you know, 5, 10, 50, 100, meg, 100 gigs, rather. Whatever it is, we have limits. Anything we put into a shared, into our Mac Geek Gab shared folder counts against both of our limits, which doesn't seem fair to me, right? It's like, wait a minute. You know, if we both get 10 gigs, how come this one file uh, counts against both of us. It should only count against the dude that put it in there. Cause you know why? Mm. But, yeah. And sugar sink doesn't mm. do that. They, mm. it, they do it. Th- they do it the right way in, in my, uh, my thing. Yeah. But I'm trying, I'm looking here. Uh, it, the iPhone or iPad can sync folders. So I've got my notes for sugar sync up here. So we might as well mm-hmm. kind of do it. I think I talked about this back in December, but I'll do it again. Uh, the a couple of things, a couple of notes that I made when I did my my tour through it back in the over the winter, uh, the iPhone, they have an iPhone and iPad app. Uh, it can sync folders persistently uh, or it can go and access data on any of your computers. And uh, it works with the various document editors that exist out there and all that stuff. Uh, they have version control with up to five previous versions. They have editing of files in their web interface with a Java applet, which I found pretty cool. So, you know, Word documents and that sort of thing, you can just edit from any computer, whether or not it's got the software to edit it, as long as it's, you know, the software that, that, um, that SugarSync supports. But again, all the kind of the common office apps are supported. You can share any file with a public link that, and, and that person doesn't necessarily need to be a SugarSync customer. And uh, you can share folders uh, with read only or read and write access. And you can have a password to, uh, to do one versus the other uh, at the time. And again, this is where I'm sort of out of sync with them at the time. They did not support land syncing, which is something that Dropbox does. And I actually really like, um, and I, I'll, I'll want to look into that with sugar sync before I move my documents over. You know, I, one of the things I use Dropbox for is syncing amongst all the computers here in my home. And, uh, and it'll upload one copy to Dropbox's server, but then instead of downloading from the other, uh, you know, on the other computers, <clears throat> instead of downloading from Dropbox's server, it just copies across the local network. Whereas at the time, SugarSync did not do that. So, okay, uh, so it doesn't. I don't. Go, so everybody doesn't go into the cloud and right. And where you're probably going to, if anything, run into upload limits, right? Download limits. Gonna slow, it's going to upload down. one copy. Download multiples. Right. Because there's only okay. one copy okay. being uploaded to the cloud. So, okay. Uh, uh, they know I feel terrible because I mean, you know, Dropbox has been very, very good to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't feel terrible. Hey, yeah, it's fine. These guys have a better product or an equivalent product, and it's. Yeah. Uh, All right. One last thing uh, that we've uh, that we've done here. Oh, where is it here? Oh, I'm looking in the wrong folder because, of course, I got us off the track. Uh, I posted a tweet the other, I've been using Spotify, which I think I mentioned on a recent show and Spotify, Spotify. Oh, did I not mention Spotify? Okay. Well this, I think I did. Yeah, I definitely did. Oh, was that the music thing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Me, uh, I like every, uh, me, I, whatever. Uh, I, I did the cloud thing. Uh huh. Well, you could get a free, Oh, free code for it or free, uh, basic account through uh, cloud, which, uh, I don't know. I, I wonder about clout because clout lists me as an expert on cats. Well, I don't, I don't have, know if I trust clout for. So anyway, did you get uh, your spotlight account? 
Did your Spotify account rather? I haven't really tried it. I mean, oh, okay. I, 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 I plugged in one of my iDevices and it listed all the music on it, but then I kind of got lost. I don't, I don't know if I'm okay. I don't know if I grok the UI. Yeah. The exactly. UI sucks. On, on Spotify. Okay, then that, that's yes. the problem because, it, it, yeah, again, I expected I plug my device in and it would somehow magically let me listen to the, the content of my device or sync it to the cloud or do something. I don't know. No, I, I, no, I kind no. Of, Total, you've got it backwards. So, but the UI sucks, so it's not your fault. Uh, the, what Spotify does is once you have a, an account, you can get a free account or various levels of subscription, but uh, with any of them on your computer, once you have an account, you can stream music to your computer from Spotify and they've got a lot of stuff out there. I, I won't venture to say they have everything, but nearly everything I've looked for, they have now the uh, free account that you can get if you get on their waiting list. And we might have a couple of invites. So if you need a Spotify invite ask, but don't be upset if we run out because I think I've only got like two or three or something. Um, it, it's, it's n not high quality audio. It's actually pretty decent. Uh, so the, did, and, the, was it supposed to look at my device and say, no. oh, well, John has this, so no. he, he's allowed to listen to it? You're cool. No, you can listen to anything. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's it's kind of like Pandora because it streams down to you. But unlike Pandora, you know, with Pandora, you can't really pick the exact songs you want to listen to with Spotify. Okay. You totally can. And you can look at what playlists oh, okay. your friends have created and these can be songs that you have in iTunes or don't, you know, again, if you've got this account, oh. uh, Spotify, the free version has audio ads. Um, and then you can pay for various levels, uh, including the top level, which I think is 10 bucks a month. And then that gets you the ability to stream high quality, no ads and to your mobile device, which is really cool in the car because you can just have Spotify streaming. And so it's like this whole you know, thing that we're going to potentially get with iTunes in the cloud, but possibly even better because you're getting song, not just okay. songs that you. So own. maybe part of it is like ping, but done properly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Ping, I got to say, was one of Apple's uh, misses. Yeah. So one of the things that I missed about it, it is, you know, I, I listen to Pandora sometimes, which just, you know, takes one or, or a, a bunch TiVo? of or on the computer. On I the like computer. it on the TiVo. Yeah, I totally to grokked Pandora. It was like, and it's frightening how well, once you tell it a few songs you yeah. like and don't like how it zooms in using this music DNA or whatever they call it. Right. Yeah. The it's music scary. project. Yeah. No, it's, it's scary how well it, it, it uh, figures. Well, if you like this and you like this, you're probably going to like this. I, I, right. I was, I was shocked, but go on. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. So I like, yeah, that's what I was going to say is I like that about Pandora. I like Apple's genius playlist thing, although it's got some flaws, but it's nice to be able to say, I want to listen to music like this go and just have it take off. And I was lamenting the fact that Spotify doesn't do that. Well, I learned mm. two things. Number one, Chris Breen told me, only in the U.S. does Spotify not do that. They, they do have that feature in other countries. So presumably it is coming. Uh, number two, uh, listener Dave wrote in response to your tweet about discovering other playlists and songs on Spotify. There is a cool web service called Spotty Bit, S-P-O-T-I, oh, sorry, Spotted Bot, S-P-O-T-I-B-O-T dot com, where you type in either a song or an artist. And they'll build a playlist that you can just drag into spot, uh, Spotify and, and play. And then, of course, once you have a playlist in there, it syncs to all your mobile devices and all that automatically. So thanks. Uh, that was a that was a. Uh, so we had two kind of impromptu sort of reviews here and in, in cool stuff found. And that's how we roll. <laughs> 
I, I hesitate to even ask this next question, but anything else before we, uh, before we duck out of here, John? No, I've, uh, I've, you've had your fill. Us on, well, I've, I've, uh, deviated too much. I right. think we both have, but yeah, no, we both I, have no, people. That's the point. To, that's the point. Yeah. The tangents. No, I like the little tangents we go on here. They're good. Uh, you can email us, and because you're a premium subscriber, you can email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You can email at us at premium at macgeekgab.com. You can email us at premium at macgeekgab.com, and if you take that geek and go to the phone, you can dial 206-666, plug in that geek, which John is... Four three three five, and leave us a message. It's a beautiful thing. Skype, Skype. Four three three. Oh no, we already yeah. said four three three five. Wow, my head's in a total different place. It is Mac Geek Gab. So Dave checks that. I don't. So yeah, I'm actually, no. It comes to all of us. We, we it gets forwarded to our feedback at. Uh, or oh, our, it does to, to our our normal email box. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, as an audio attachment. Correct. Oh, so the ones with the crappy audio are, are the Skype ones, right? You got it. You told me? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the one where your thing's cutting out and... Yeah, and yeah that's okay. right. Good, good. Yeah, but it what works. Else? You know. Um, this Facebook thing. Are we, we going to set up a Jeep? No, I don't even know. A Jeep? I don't have no, a Jeep. No, G Plus. Uh, all the cool kids call it G Plus. Uh, you can't... Uh, we have applied to have a Google Plus account for Mac Geekab, but you can't set up corporate or or business presence accounts uh, yet, or at least not everyone can. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm starting to get overwhelmed in that, if yeah. anything, I feel a need for anybody that puts me in their circle for me to put them in a circle. And you I'm do? just getting over. Yeah, maybe I, I shouldn't. I don't, I don't have a. Yeah, I don't. I, in fact, I turned off the email notifications almost immediately on Google. Oh Plus. no, no, I have that off too. Oh no, that that was aggravating. So I only get emails when it's uh, somebody mentioning me or uh, somebody uh, responding to a thread that I commented on. No, to yeah. me that's appropriate. But yeah. no, I mean people adding me. No, forget that. Right. But but no, I, every every time I go in, it says all these other people have added me to their circle, and and I kind of feel obligated to put them in some sort of circle. Maybe I should just ditch that because I'm going to drive myself insane. Perhaps. I mean, Perhaps. usually it's just a okay uh, other circle, but sometimes I mean it, you know sometimes it's immediate. It's oh I know this person I met them face to face, so they they go in the friend circle, or oh this is an industry person, so they go in the industry circle. But then the others, and maybe I'm just getting OCD about it. Yeah, I, I think I am. I think so, and I think I thought we were done with tangents, but apparently we weren't. <laughs> Fa- Mac Geek Gab, fa- sorry, Facebook.com/slash Mac Geek Gab gets us uh, over there on Facebook and Twitter. To round out the uh, the social circles is uh, twitter.com slash John F. Braun is him. Uh, Pilot Pete is the guy that uh, is too busy to make it this week. Uh, I'm Dave Hamilton. Mac Geek Gab is the show. And Mac Observer is uh, all the headlines from TMO. We'd like to extend a great big hand of thanks to Michael Johnston of the We Have Communicators podcast for his efforts in converting this and every episode into AAC for you. And of course, also to the folks at Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth. That's it, John. We're out of this dump. It's uh, it's time to go. <laughs> dump? I just cleaned my room. <laughs> it's not a dump here. The studio's kind of a Maybe, maybe the studio's kind of... <laughs> needs a little uh, spritzing. It needs a little spritzing. There you go. <laughs> ah!
Thank you. So uh, I'm going to go off to my spritzing, and uh, and then and then I want to make sure that uh, that you uh, that you don't get caught. <laughs>